Can I encourage you tonight just to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul's in prison. He's writing to a young man called Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he's very discouraged. He suffers a bit from bodily sickness. Don't know whether it's headaches or tummy aches. And Paul is writing to him. And this is what he says if we break into the reading at verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me have prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. Before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. As I've already said, we're delighted to see all of you tonight. I want to especially welcome our dear brother at Hartford and his wife Phyllis. We have fond memories of fellowship with them and their family tonight. And we appreciate those who have made the effort and friends who have come along. It's really lovely to see you. And we're going to ask Hartford now to come. He's taken the rest of the meeting. Now, here's the good news. He's in charge from this point on. I'm going to sit down. He's not. I'm going to sit down, and, and, and he's in charge of the testimony and the preaching. I'll not be preaching after he finishes. All right. God bless you. Just wonder what you find in a pulpit. <laughs> There's a bottle of Grecian 2000 in here. And I don't know whose it is. <laughs> um, it's a privilege to be asked here. Uh, this is unreal. This is the first church that I have been asked back to. <laughs> so, but the matter. I want to thank... Uh, Mr. McLaughlin here, Reverend McLaughlin and Rose for the invitation to come on your special weekend. And who am I to fill the pulpit? 
but I've been asked, and I hope that you don't see me, I hope you see Jesus, because that's what I'm here for, I, I'm a nobody, and uh, I hope you remember that. Um, we're going to read a few verses of scripture. If you've heard me testify before, it's still the same. Uh, I know I'm getting better looking, but no matter. We'll tell you. It's Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Hold on up. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. I'm going well. My sight's going, my hair's going, my hearing's going, everything's going. But... Um, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Now it may be seem strange, but I'll tell it to you after a while. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. It's wonderful how personal the Bible is, for there's I and there's my in here. Yet what I shall choose I wait not. For I am in a state betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh and carried off is more needful for you. You know, everybody that's ever saved, if God just saved you, took you home, who's going to speak to you? You know, we're here for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. God just didn't save me for me. He wants to use the people he saves. To point others to him. So we have a purpose. We have a purpose. I'm going to tell you, I'm the youngest, and I can't say tonight that I'm the best looking out of six for a wee sister here, and that wouldn't be very nice. But I'm the youngest out of six, and I was reared in a farm outside Donnacloney, and that's a blessing on its own. I really mean that. And... uh, we were took along to Sunday school every Sunday. It was compulsory. And I thought it was an hour well wasted every week, for I didn't let go. But as we got older, and on the farm, every one of us had our bit to do. And as you got older, the, bit, the, the, the job got bigger. And me and my bra turned, whenever we had been feeding the cattle, we used to delay the process as long as we could. And then we had been coming in late. And Dad was so strict, he wouldn't have went through the church door one second after the whistle blew. He went on without us. And that was how we wriggled out of going. But you still needed to go now and again if there had been Christmas, Easter, or a funeral. A funeral, well, it was compulsory. You two are going, or, or three, or whatever. You have to be there. You must be there. You see, it's a neighbor. It's a farming thing. You had to be there. And there you are, and you're at a funeral, and you hardly knew the man. Maybe it's a farming man. And, but you were there, and then you hear the preacher up at the front, and you're looking down into the ground, and then you hear the fairy tale. You know, the John 14 business. The mansion in the sky, and we're all going there. And then you're away back in the crowd, and oh dear, dear. But that's only for the ones at the front. But wait a minute, it's not till you're at the front and you'll want to believe the John 14. You see, it's no fairy tale. That's the difference. You want to believe it. And that was me. But we'll tell you, I got on through my life and then uh, started to get out. And we've done the things. I'm not here to tell you that I've done all the stupid things I, should have, I shouldn't have done. I've drunk, I've smoked, I've cursed, I've took the Lord's name. I've done all them things. 
But I didn't know it. I didn't. I was doing it in ignorance. Sure, you're your own man. You were self. You wanted the good life. And uh, but that was my life. And then I got on into my teens uh, and into my twenties. And then I met this. I met this girl one night. And uh, and uh, shortly after I got out with her, I asked her to marry me, and she jumped at the chance. <laughs> she used her head, you see. She has a quirky catch. But no matter. We'll tell you, that was in the 80s. Um, and in 82, we were engaged. And in 83, we were married. And I'm a son of the soil. I'm a farmer. I think I've soil in my veins. But uh, the next year, we had a son, Thomas. And he was born in January 84. And whenever he was born, he was 11 and a half pound weight. And he was born in the Lagan Valley. And what did I tell you? I was in cloud 99 that I had a big son. And I took a fistful of big 10 peas into the hospital with me. And I brought the phone over to the bed and I rung people that didn't even know to tell them I had a big son. That's how proud I was. But what did I tell you? It was on down the road. Six months later we found out but Thomas just wasn't what we thought we would like him to have been. And we were told in the lag and no in the royal that Thomas was mentally and physically handicapped. And that hit me unreal. And all I could think of was you see, if I could go back home and turn the farm into pure gold, I couldn't buy what I wanted. I couldn't fix my son. You see, money's only money. You can't buy what you really need. And that's happiness. It won't bad. And, and, but we loved Thomas and we took him to, and we got him exercised. And we were told shortly after that that it was maybe an accident of birth or just something happened, but it, it, it wouldn't happen again. And Phyllis then started to take Thomas to the wee physio thing, but he heard all the children in Craig Avon Hospital. And he heard them and got all excited. And Phyllis, she says, were resolved in her heart that we would fill our house with children for Thomas's sake, to bring them on. And praise the Lord, the next year we had another son, and we called him Ford. He was born in 85, April 85. And uh, the doctor came out, out of that theatre, and, and within a moment he told me, and he, he put Ford down on the bed and the cold hit him, and he put his finger in his hands and he lifted him up off the bed because he knew he was worried. And uh, he says, says he, don't worry about that fella, for that fella, and this is his words, he's as strong as a bull. You see, he knew that was the crack I could understand. And uh, that was Dr. Wallace who told me that. I said, that was powerful, and my fears just melted away. And within a year, Ford was doing things that Thomas still couldn't do. But Thomas loved hearing Ford wee pother and his voice and his squeal and everything else. And 18 months later, we had another son. Praise the Lord. And we called him Wensley. Some strange names in our house, like, but... But Wensley was born 
And this time, Dr. Wallace came out of the theater. This time, he came out on his own. And he looked at me, and he hung his head, and he just looked into the floor, and he shook his head. See, bad. And the doctor was crying, actually. He says, see, bad, I don't know how to tell you, but he's going to be like his big brother, Thomas. And I couldn't... Uh, uh, I started to curse God in my heart. Why me? Why Phyllis? Why Thomas? Why could it not have been Prince Charlie that had all the nurses in the world and the money and the time? Why me? Why, why me, son? And I couldn't tell Phyllis till the next day. And we got a nurse, a doctor that we knew really well. And she came in and told Phyllis that Wensley was going to be like Thomas. And she cried for a couple of seconds. And then she all lit up and she says, You know, doctor, he'll be great company for Thomas. You see, it all depends how you see a thing. Phyllis, believe it or not, was a backslider, but she's seen it from God's point of view. God loved Thomas so much, he sent him a wee lifetime chum. That's loving somebody. And that was our life. And uh, it wasn't easy. There was lots of hospitals, visits, doctors, you name it, exercises, choking fits, you name it. But they were a blessing to have in our home. And I mean that. And uh, every now and again, Thomas or Wensley would have took a wee chest infection. And Ford then, he was out and he was running with my dad in the yard. And Thomas and Wensley was just rolling on the floor. But to tell you what we used to do, we used to buy them wee prickly, squeaky toys. And you put them in their clothes. And you see them, they've been rolling about on the floor. It was tickling them, they were laughing, they were squeaking, they were squawking. They were going like ducks, and, but they loved that. But they were so happy, that a happiness that you and me, that we know nothing about. God give them a happiness and a contentment that this world doesn't have. Look at it. There's stupid things going on here, there, and everywhere. And then you say, what? What did they do that for? Or why did he do this? Or why did the you know, there's no contentment. And I don't care if you're a multimillionaire or a pauper. Money can bad. It's only Jesus can give you contentment. Um, and that was our life. But we'll tell you, in November 89, Thomas was nearly six, but he took a wee. It was Remembrance Day. I'll never forget it. And I was down at the cenotaph in Donatlone. And I come back up home and Phyllis says, you know, she says, I'm on with the doctor. And must have taken Thomas over. And say, I'll stay at home. So we just got up, took the other two down the lane to my mum and dad's house. We lived a bungalow up the lane. And that was just par for the course. It was normal. And I looked after the other two and took Thomas over. Two, three days, normally the wee steam tent, and that was his class cheered, and that was his goal. But this time, Monday morning come, 
and Phyllis went over and the next thing then she rang me, she says, the doctor wants you to come over. So I had the, the things done in the yard and I went over and the next thing he got us in the room, he says, you know, uh, he says, you know, Thomas just can't go on getting better and going home and then coming back. And I said, what are you trying to say? He says, you know, every time these chest infections comes, it leaves a wee mark on him, you know. Well, he says, hey, what, are you, what, are you, what's the, what are you trying to say? So he says, no, we want to do an x-ray on him this time. And they done an x-ray on Thomas's wee chest, and that afternoon they come back and they said his wee lungs was all clouded white, it wasn't pneumonia. And there's a shiver run down her back. I couldn't believe it. And then we sat that night with Thomas, and then the next day, it was a Tuesday, it was coming on nearly five o'clock. There's no big thing happened, no bang, no flashing light, no nothing. But our fella just gave a wee sigh, and he went home to be with Jesus. Um, I couldn't, the presence in the room and the feeling, you just go into like a numb mood. You, you, it's hard to explain. Um, this November, it'll be 30 years. And it, it's like that. I can mind them moments like it was 10 months ago. And uh, it was unreal. And uh, we, we come home and we insisted that night that Thomas and we pulled strings. It was unreal. And we did. We got Thomas home that night to our house. And will I tell you, you can hear sermons from the best of preachers in the world. But you see when a big car pulls up to your house. And your wee bats on it. You see, sermons that go out the window. This is real. It'll speak to you. And uh, brought Thomas in, and our house never cooled for two days. And on the 16th of November, we laid our big fella out in Dremore and buried him. And we come home, and Phyllis, but you see, that night Thomas died. Our doctor come up and she was real friendly with us and she says, look, she says, look, I tell you to do, let, let us take Wensley out of the road for you. We'll take him into, into hospital because he was taking a wee bit of a cough too, believe it or not, on the fog and everything else. And should we look after him to, to get the funeral over and, and then you come? And, and we agreed to that. And uh, me and a good friend, we took Wensley to Greg Avon Hospital. Twelve hours after his big brother died. And left him there. Just for hauntings. And as I told you, our house never cooled. And we buried Thomas and Dremore. And come when we come home to the house, Phyllis says, I tell you to do, come on, we'll shoot over. We'll not go into the house. We'll let the people be there. We'll go and see Wansley. And that's what we were doing. And I, I can mind it yet. I was going down the long street out of Lurgan and I was lighting up a cigarette. And Phyllis, she says, she started to shake in the car. She says, you know, Hertford, will I tell you, we need to talk here. She says, if anything happens to you and me, we'll never see the boys again. And, and I, I said, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Wait till we get Wensley home on this this storm passes and, and we'll sort this all out. 
and, and I talked her out of it. And I, I, I got a time to fag to the hospital door, and I was getting the last drive before I went in, and you flick it and you went on into the hospital. And we went on in, and we could, Wensley, we couldn't believe it. We, we thought he, he was trying to stand. See, Wensley had never stood nor spoken in his life, and he was nearly three and a half. And he was holding all the wee bars in the cot. And he looked at Phyllis, and she looked at me, and I, I thought to say, See, maybe God has given Thomas's strength. That was the first thought coming to my head. And he said, this is powerful. And we stayed a while, and then we went home. Ford was staying with my brother, and we went home to an empty house. And we got the photographs out, and just went down to bed and cried our eyes out. Because our house was never going to be the same again. And... Uh, I fell over to sleep. But I wakened in the middle of the night, and I was terrified. And it was November, and believe it or not, I can tell you now, the sweat was sitting on my chest. And I was trembling like a leaf. And I said, Phyllis, get up, get up, get up, it's coming back. And she said, well, what's, what's wrong? I said, it's coming back. I could feel it, I could see it, I could taste it. It was in my dream. I had a dream that death was coming back and I, I thought it was coming for me. And I was trembling. And I got up and I, I, rung, I rung a man that used to teach me in school. And he called him Tom Somerville. His nickname was Sarge. And he was a big man. But uh, I rang him and, and I told him that Thomas had died. I told him that Wensley was in hospital. And then I told him about the dream I had. And he said to me down the phone, see, by, down the phone is not really the right place to talk to you, but says, see, God's there to speak to you. I said, what do, what, what do, you, what, what do you mean? Well, he says, to see, God's big time is there to speak to you. He says, sure, I'm sure the day you'll bump seeing Wansley in the hospital. I said, well, certainly we're leaving here as soon as it gets daylight. And uh, he says, sure, I'll pop in and see you. Not day about 12 o'clock, Tom Somerville came in to see us. And this was the 17th of November, 89. And he came in and he stayed a while and he prayed with us. And I really appreciated it. And, and, uh, and then he turned, he just was going out to the, the door of the wee room we were in. And he turned, he said, see, have you been up here all morning? Say, well, say, I tell you, come on with me, I just live down the road. Come on with me and I'll get you a cup of tea. It'll get you out of here for half an hour. Oh, yeah, I agreed to that. I was dead, aren't I? And we went into his house, and he sent his wife, Jean, into the kitchen to make a cup of tea. I sat down on the sofa. It was just a wee living room, and the next thing he was, you know, uh, he said, Hartford, you've, this, is, this has been awful. You've come through it, he says. To see. You know, you're a big fellas in heaven, you know. He looked on me. I actually laughed. I said, certainly he's in heaven. Say, sure, Thomas never even said a bad word in his life. He never even had a bad thought. And the next thing he said to me was, you know, see, Hartford, you know, if you ever want to meet him again, you know, you'll need to be saved. I says, well, I've heard that old crack. He said, did you ever think about it? Say, Tom, I'm 30 years of age and I've never had that thought in my, late, in my head. Never. He said, you know, you should think about it. You know, you could get saved today. And I said, no, Tom, jump as simple as that. Oh, he says it is. He says it is. All you have to do is ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and he'll save you and change you. 
And that's it. It's a moment of time. He said, I thought, you see, you had to go to church for years, play the organ, come on with the money, you know, do something to earn it. Oh, he says, not at all. He says, it's a moment in time. It's, it's a gift. You don't bet. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You know? I couldn't understand that. And he says, Tom, it jump out simple. Oh, he says it is. And then he reached over onto the wee sofa, onto the wee mantelpiece, and he lifted down his Bible, and he opened it up. See, have you a Bible in your house? He says, hey, Tom, there's one somewhere, I'm sure. He says, here's what God says. It's Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I'm sure you know it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And he stopped at that. He says, you see, Hertford, you see this word faith. You know what you want? You want saved through your feelings. For by grace are you saved through feelings. He says, that's Irish, he says. He says, today it's all grey. And nothing's going right. You feel you're not saved. Tomorrow the sky's pure blue. Everything's great. You feel you are saved. You're in, you're out. You don't know where you're going or coming or going. He laughed at me. He says, no, it's faith what you believe. He says, right, Tom, that's powerful. That's powerful. But damn it, there has to be something to do. You have to earn it. You have to do. If he says, I tell you to do, we'll read the rest of the verse. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And he turned to me like a sweet child. He says, tell me this, do you know what a gift is? He says, hey, Tom, I have a brave idea. Well, he says to see, if you had to give me a penny in here today, it would be no gift. That would be an exchange. He says, right. He says to see, just ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. And that's what I did. That's what I did. On Tom's, on my knees in Tom's house, I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart. And that was it. And the next thing I got up and he says, Tom, you'll hardly believe it. I haven't had a fig for two hours. But he says, I suppose you're going to tell me now I'm not allowed to smoke. Oh, he says, you can go and have, have a smoke if you want, he says. But I did. I went out to his back door and I smoked half of a fig. I said, you know, maybe I shouldn't even be smoking. He said, I was starting to feel guilty about smoking. Do you know this? I smoked for about a week after I got saved. Now, whenever I needed them to steady my nerves or whatever, and God took the desire away. I was on 40 a day. The last figs I bought was Embassy Red, and they're 157 a pack. There's a man told me the other day, Embassy filter is now nearly 13 pounds. I couldn't even afford to smoke now. <laughs> they're not used. That's the trick. But no matter. But we sat with Wensley. The next day, and the next day, and it comes to the weekend, and then Wensley developed a wee cough. And Wensley just got worse and worse, and then the next thing the doctors come, and they said they wanted to do a wee x-ray in Wensley's chest. And they come back and told us his wee lungs too was all clouded white. And then you were just turned a clingless straw. But I knew what was coming. For I'd seen it. 
You see, in my dream, I had seen the top of Thomas's coffin open. But I thought death was coming for me. Will I tell you, exactly nine days near enough to the minute, the Lord come back and he took wee Wensley home too. I can't believe it. And you know the way I look at it is, the Lord gave him company while he was here. And Thomas was in heaven, a blink. And he turned, oh, Wensley, what are you doing here, boy? It's good to see you. Come here to you see a man I want to tell you all about. And that's the way I pictured. You see, for me to live is Christ. And today, well, I've never seen them two wee rascals walking or talking. But I have thought ahead of me. Praise the Lord. This is clear to me as you are sitting in front of me. I'm going to, boy, it's going to be powerful. It's powerful. Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn when she was blind. She would know her saviour when she met him. That was a blind woman wrote that. Think of it. But, um, and that was life. Well, I tell you, I ain't going to tell you about the change. I've told you, I quit the fags. I used to go on a, a drunk out of the square bottle. I've never been back. I've never touched it since. You see, if you have the right spirit in, you don't mix spirits. The spirit of God lives in your heart. But the biggest change in my life is my tongue. I used to curse, and I didn't. But Phyllis used to give after me for using the Lord's name, and I didn't know it on it. And look, if you can be down the town, and the next thing, if it's a good day, you'll hear somebody taking the Lord's name, or whatever. Should the television's full of it. This, 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 that, and it gets to you. Hey, but you're talking about my best friend here. But then what do you do? But it's great to be saved. I really mean that. Life has changed big time. We, we, lived, we, we started to go to that wee, wee hall in 2004, and that's 15 years ago. I, I clowned this man down here as a brother. On Rosie too. Um, but that's, that's the friendship that there is in Christ. It's unique. But um, life has took another twist. Uh, we moved back to home. Our big fella now, I sleep with a granny. I'm a granda. This is grandest day. Three times over. We were at... Thomas was born on Father's Day, six years ago today. He was, this was his birthday. And Daniel come to, he's, he'll be four in July. Emma will be two in November. It's unreal. Life just moves on. But we have had a big change too from a move back home. My dad lived, he was nearly 90, and he slipped away nearly two and a half years ago. But mum just died two months ago. And it was a rough journey. She took that old dementia. And at the very last, we couldn't even give the wee woman we loved a drink. Because you could choke her. 
but you knew Jesus. Amen. I know I'll meet mum again. And my dad too. It's everything to be saved. You see, I've come here not to tell you about me. I've come here to tell you about Jesus. About the change he's made in me. And if he could change me, he could change you. There was a man in the Bible, and it says he was a wealthy man. Actually, he was one of the richest men in the world. And he had an old idiot laid his gate, but he had no time for him. And this man was born wealthy, because it says that he fared sumptuously every day. And that was from the day he was one year, one day old. He wore the finest linen. But he did change. But he changed too late. You see, the rich man, whenever he died, his first request was for what? A drip of water. You see, Dan didn't change him. He still was the selfish, greedy pig he always was all his life. And now he's dead, he's no change. But you know when he changed? He changed when God spoke to him. Because his next request was for what? Send Lazarus where? To get me a big feed? No. He knew that was over. Send him back to my daddy's house. Buy five bras. And he don't want them to come here. You see? He changed. But he changed too late. Don't you leave it too late. It's not worth it. Sure, this is only a wee blink of time. Eternity is forever. Forever. See, the rich man, he can still see. He can hear, he can feel, he can taste. And he's not like my mum. He can remember. There's no Alzheimer's in hell. For he could remember Lazarus' name. He could remember every time he was ever told that he needed to bring it ready. And you're no different. If you die without Jesus, you're a fool. And the Bible calls you a fool, not me. For the Bible says, I'm the fellow one day took on Richard Dawkins on the radio. He was being real smart. And he called Christians idiots and nutcases. And I rang in and I got, and in the researcher says, would you take him on? I said, I'll take him on, all right. Bring him on. And then he apologized to me for calling me a nutcase. But I was going to tell him he was a fool. But then Mr. William Crawley didn't let me back on. I was going to tell him that the fool has said in his heart there's no God. Richard Dawkins is a nutcase, not me. He's got it all wrong. I was a nutcase for 30 years. This November I'll be saved 30. I wouldn't change it for the world. And you know this, the only thing I regret is 
I didn't get saved sooner because I could have hugged my boys better. Do you know why? They were God's messenger to me. To me. A message is for everybody. A messenger's personal. What I'm going to say to them when I get home, I don't know. But I ain't going to really hug them. But boy, I miss them. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. But life's good. Sure, I'm 30 years nearer to them. I know where they are and I know where I'm going. And it's great to be ready. David, as you mean. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Folks, I don't have to add anything to that, and I'm not going to tonight. You ask yourself, just where you sit, am I ready? If death was to knock at your door tonight, where would you be in eternity? Is it heaven or is it hell? There's many tonight going to hell because they're simply walking past the cross of the Lord Jesus in indifference. There's many tonight going to hell because they're spitting in the face of Jesus because of circumstances and situation. Bad things are happening in their life and they're taking it out in the Lord and they're blaming him. And there's many tonight going to hell because they're trying to climb over the cross of Christ. The Bible teaches us the words of a little chorus there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin there's a door that is open that all may go in the message is for everyone the message is personal the message is powerful when you come as a sinner to Jesus will you come as a sinner to Christ tonight and cry out like Peter Lord save me I perish